We're in a series called Prequel, and in the series we're looking at the backstory from the book of Judges so that we can better understand the main story of Jesus and the rescue that he brings. Well, as you probably noticed in that video clip, that Samson is a paradoxical rescuer. He's some things on, he does some things on the right side, some things on the bad side. It's kind of hard to figure out. Let me prove my point. When I say the word Samson, or as you even look at that video, what are some things that immediately come to your mind? Hair. That was the number one, right? Hair. <laughs> Muscles. Deceit. Sex. Delilah. Violence. Death. Everything you need to make a great movie. It's not coincidental that Hollywood makes a movie of Samson, not a lot of movies on the other judges or a lot of the other biblical characters. Well, we're going to kind of work our way through some of the key events in Samson's life very superficially, but I encourage you at some point during the week or maybe even today, read through Judges 13 through 16, only a few chapters, and you will be amazed at all the stuff Samson does, how God uses him, and more amazingly, how he points so clearly to Jesus, the ultimate rescuer. If you have your Bibles, turn to Judges 15, and I'm going to read a little bit from the middle account of Samson. I'll begin in verse 9 and read through the end of the chapter, just to give you a little slice of how this guy's colorful life went. Verse 9 of Judges 15. The Philistines went up and camped in Judah, spreading out near Lehi. The people of Judah asked, why have you come to fight us? We have come to take Samson prisoner, they answered, to do to him as he did to us. Then 3,000 men from Judah went down to the cave in the rock of Edom and said to Samson, don't you realize that the Philistines are rulers over us? What have you done to us? He answered, I merely did to them what they did to me. They said to him, we've come to tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines. Samson said, swear to me that you won't kill me yourselves. Agreed, they answered. We will only tie you up and hand you over to them. We will not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and led him up from the rock. As he approached Lehi, the Philistines came toward him shouting, shouting, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax and the bindings dropped from his hands. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. Then Samson said, With a donkey's jawbone, I made donkeys of them. With a donkey's jawbone, I've killed a thousand men. When he finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone, and the place was called Ramath Lehi, Jawbone Hill. Because he was very thirsty, he cried out to the Lord, You have given your servant this great, great victory. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? Then God opened up the hollow place in Lehi and water came out of it. When Samson drank, his strength returned and he revived. So the spring was called Enhakor, and it is still there in Lehi. Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. Well, the Samson story begins like all the others. It begins at the beginning of chapter 13 and we read this. The Israelites again did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. There's one big difference this time. Remember how the cycle works? There's rebellion, 
The rebellion leads to oppression. Then under that oppression, the Israelites cry out, repentance, eh, at least they're crying out in agony, and then God brings rescue. The biggest difference in this round of the cycle is the Israelites never cry out to God. They're almost happy and content to be under the rule of the Philistines. In fact, you even notice it in the passage that I read. When the Philistines go, go to get Samson, the men of Judah, one of the tribes of Israel, they go to Samson, tie him up to give him to the Philistines, and they even say, Samson, don't you realize the Philistines are rulers over us? What are you doing? They're happy and content living under the rule of the Philistines. They're compromising, and they don't even realize the danger that they're in. Well, we're going to tease out a couple of themes from Samson's life. But before we get to the themes, I want you to notice something that's very different when it comes to Samson. And that is, we're told about his birth in the book. He's the only judge that has a nativity account. And we find that Samson's birth was actually a miraculous birth. You can read about that in chapter 13. Let, let me just read a couple of the highlight verses and tell you what's going on. A certain man named Manoah, that's Samson's dad, and his wife, who's not named, so we'll just call her Mrs. Manoah, Manoah and Mrs. Manoah, uh, they were childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, you are barren and childless, but you're going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine, don't eat anything unclean, you'll become pregnant, have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Now a Nazarite had to do three things, or kind of abstain from three things. You read one there. First of all, not allowed to cut your hair, not allowed to drink wine, right? Drunkenness, that's kind of bordering on, on what's wrong there. And you also can't touch dead bodies because God is the, gift, the giver of life. God wants us to live with a sound mind, and God wants to remind us that we're to live lives dedicated to him. So a Nazarite, entering a particular season of life, is to focus on God, live life under God's hand. As you read through Samson's life, you discover he breaks that vow like every couple verses. He's always touching dead things because he's making things dead. And his hair gets cut at the end, God's spirit leaves him. And he's obviously getting drunk, which is leading to part of the problem. So Samson is to be set apart, but he keeps breaking his vow and going in the wrong direction. But his birth was miraculous. Did you notice that? Manoah and Mrs. Manoah can't have kids. The angel of the Lord shows up to Mrs. Manoah and says, you're going to miraculously have a child. The birth is announced. Out of human inability, God brings life. Now, does that story sound familiar, that people unable to have kids or whatever eventually have a, have a child, and the child brings some kind of deliverance, rescue, redemption? It should, because that's a familiar pattern in the Bible. Abraham and Sarah can't have a child. God comes in, Isaac, the son of promise, is born. Hannah can't have a child. God shows up, and Samuel is born. Elizabeth and Zechariah can't have a child. God's spirit shows up. John the Baptist is born. Mary and Joseph never have sex. God shows up and the son of promise is born. Out of human weakness and inability, God brings rescue. 
That's kind of the point. We see it in Samson. They're living under the control, under the thumb of the Philistines. They're unable to do anything about it. It's almost as if the barrenness of Manoah and Mrs. Manoah are pointing to the inability of Israel to throw off the Philistines. God does something miraculous that will bring about the deliverance. Samson, the rescuer, is born. Well, if you were to think back, you'd notice how Samson is long awaited for, and when he shows up, people are thinking really high thoughts, right? A miraculous birth, they've lived under Philistine rule for a long period of time, they're kind of getting used to that, you're expecting this great deliverer, this great rescuer to show up, and then we get Samson, he disappoints us over and over and over again. So the miraculous birth. Well, as I mentioned at the beginning, when you think of Samson, you think of hair, But you also think of strength. Now, we didn't read all the feats of strength. There were a couple of them in there. But let me mention a few of Samson's feats of strength. And you can read the chapters. I'm not making any of this up. Early on in the account, Samson is headed down to uh, introduce his parents to his new fiance, who just happens to be a Philistine. don't, Don't do that, right? He happens to be a Philistine. As they're walking down, a lion rushes Samson. You saw a little bit of clip of that. Samson rips the lion limb from limb with his bare hands. He didn't even have a Rambo knife. Rips the lion limb from limb. Kills the lion. He's touching dead stuff, right? Remember? So he kills the lion. Eventually he marries this girl and um, he came up with a funny little riddle. And a funny little riddle riddle had to do with honey that was found inside the carcass of the lion, which he ate, and the lion's a dead thing, right? Well, the, uh, the suitors, the attendants at the wedding, um, Samson uh, makes a bet with them. And here's what he says. If you can discern, you know, unriddle my riddle, I will give you 30 sets of underwear. If you can't, you need to give me 30 sets of underwear. They cheat. They persuade Samson's bride to tell him the secret of the riddle. They win. Samson then goes and kills 30 Philistines to get their underwear to pay off the bet. He doesn't have 30 sets of underwear. He kills, he he rips a lion limb from limb, kills 30 people all by himself to deliver their underwear. We read the account in chapter 15. A thousand Philistine soldiers show up to arrest him. He kills all thousand of them with the jawbone of a donkey. Now, it was a fresh jawbone. Do you read that? You know what that means? That means it still had the teeth in it. So I guess, you know, whack somebody with the teeth in it, a little more serious than whacking them without the teeth in it. A little later, um, Samson takes the pillars of the temple. All the Philistines are inside in the temple. He takes the pillars of the temple, pushes the pillars apart, And we read in the Bible in chapter 16, he kills more Philistines in his death than he does in his lifetime. Incredible strength. We see it in chapter 15, the passage we read. We see it in 13, 14. It's all, Samson is incredibly strong. Yeah, Samson is also unbelievably weak. Now, he's not weak physically. He's weak morally. He's weak spiritually. Samson is your quintessential stupid jock, all right? No neck, no brains. Uh, Whenever I think of uh, 
stupid jocks. I always think of a story from the old, um, from the old uh, Ch Chicago Bears football team. This is when Jim McMahon was there and Refrigerator Perry. So Dicka is ready to give the pep talk before a game to the Chicago Bears. And right before the talk, he says, now, uh, Perry, when I'm finished the talk, you lead the team in the Lord's Prayer. So they're all standing in the back, and McMahon, standing next to John Cassis, begins to notice Perry starts sweating. Now, Perry weighed 350 pounds, right? So he's sweating gallon. So Perry um, elbows John and says, Perry doesn't know the Lord's Prayer. Look, he, he's going to be funny. So a few minutes later, he says, look at Perry. He's sweating gallons of sweat. He doesn't know the Lord's Prayer. Cassis says, everybody knows the Lord's Prayer. You're kidding, Jim. No, 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 I'm telling you. A few minutes later, he says, I'll bet you 50 bucks Perry doesn't know the Lord's Prayer. Cassis says, you're on. Well, at the end of the uh, pep talk, Dicka nods to Perry, and Perry begins, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord, oh, it gets better. McMahon then goes to his locker, gives Cassis 50 bucks, and said, I could have sworn Perry didn't know the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> well, Samson's kind of like that, right? Um, all brains, or all, all muscles and no brains. Let me share with you some of his weakness, usually comes in the form of revenge. When uh, Samson makes that bet, remember, and uh, they cheat and win the bet, so in retaliation, Samson kills 30 Philistines. In retaliation, the Philistines, of Samson's wife's dad, won't let Samson see his wife. In retaliation, Samson burns their fields down. In retaliation, they kill Samson's wife. In retaliation, he kills hundreds of them. In retaliation, they arrest him and gouge his eyes out. In retaliation, he destroys their temple and kills hundreds of them. He lives his life by the motto, we read it in 15, I'm just doing to them what they did to me. It sounds like a three-year-old who's getting in trouble for hitting the, hitting the two-year-old, right? I just hit him back, he hit me first. That's Samson. He hit me first, I hit him first. But the Bible has this point that runs throughout. Don't return evil for evil, but good for evil. Samson never got that memo, right? So somebody wrongs him, he wrongs them back worse. Then they wrong him, they wrong. And we all know from life, not only from the story of Samson, that if we return evil for evil, that spiral downward never ends, does it? That's why we need to live by the different motto, which we read in 1 Peter. Let's return good for evil. Samson never did that. Incredibly weak. Lots of muscles. No spiritual sense. Always doing things out of bounds, his own way. Living by his senses, what he feels, not according to what God calls him to. Well, that kind of uh, raises an interesting question. Well, how in the world... Can Samson be a faithful rescuer then? Is he a faithful rescuer? Well, we read in Judges 15, we read it, that Samson led Israel. And remember, judge, led, same word. He led, judged, rescued Israel, and Israel had peace for the time that he led. How in the world can God use somebody like Samson? Do you ever wonder? How can God use somebody who's so flawed? The guy lives according to what he thinks is best. He does what he feels he should do. He's not interested in what God wants. He breaks his vow. He's doing what he wants. 
He's um, having sex with everybody he can find that will have sex with him. He's living outside the bounds. Samson, a man living by his passions, not according to what God calls him to. How can God use somebody like that? Because God is not bound by human weakness. God can do what God wants to do. God works by grace, not by merit. And we should all take that as really good news this morning because uh, there are no perfect people that have gathered in the auditorium here, right? Um, and so if it all counts on our merit for God to use us, none of us will ever be used. God graciously, mercifully uses flawed people that fail regularly to accomplish his ends. That's the message of the scripture. Now, lest you think too poorly of Samson, let me remind you of a few verses from the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11 is that faith chapter, right? Where all these paragons of faith are lifted up as examples of people that trusted God. And you know whose name gets listed? Yeah, the no brains guy. Here we go. What more shall I say? I do not have time to talk about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness, we know that, was turned into strength, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. He's listed in the chapter. Now, as you read through the account of Samson, you'll discover that the only place he even remotely shows faith is at his death in chapter 16. Let me read to you just a couple of verses from chapter 16. Samson has now, he's blinded. They gouged his eyes out. They bring him into the temple where all the Philistine priests, all the leaders, all the Philistines have gathered, worshiping their god Dagon, praising him because he defeated Samson and his god. And here's what Samson says. Samson prayed to the Lord. Sovereign Lord, remember me. That's the only time in the story we hear Samson praying, doing anything in faith rather than just trusting his passions and doing things with his own might. Well, here's what follows. If, if you go to the next slide from Judges, next one. There we go. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived. Then his brothers and his father's whole family went down to get him. They brought him back and buried him between Zorah and Eshtol in the tomb of Manoah, his father. Samson led Israel 20 years. Now, we've been looking at the judges not as examples to follow. And I sure hope you don't follow Samson's uh, example. I mean, if you follow his example, you'll be living out of bounds and kind of out of step with God almost all the time. Um, read the account. He's not in step with what God wants. That doesn't mean God can't use him, but he's not an example to follow. He is a signpost, a flawed signpost, that leads us to the perfect rescuer. Let me share with you a couple of ways that 
Jesus' death in particular and Samson's death are not alike, and then a handful of ways that they are alike. Here's one way that they're not alike. Samson died because of his own disobedience. He wasn't doing what God wanted. He's living outside the lines. He's with Delilah. He lets the secret be known. God's spirit leaves him. All that stuff happens. Samson dies because of his own disobedience. Jesus doesn't die because of his disobedience. Jesus gives his life in perfect obedience to God. Another difference. Samson led Israel 20 years. After he dies, the oppression returns. Jesus' victory is not temporary. Jesus' victory is eternal. Two ways that they're different. But there are a number of ways in which they're, they're the same. Let me just spin out a few. Here's one. Samson and Jesus were both betrayed by a friend for money. Delilah was paid money to betray Samson and turn him over to the Philistines. Judas was paid money and turned Jesus over to the Romans. They were both handed over to Gentiles. Samson gets handed over to the Philistines. Jesus gets handed over to the Romans. They both died with their arms outstretched. Samson's between two pillars. Jesus nailed to a cross. They both defeated their enemies in their death. Isn't that interesting? Samson defeats more Philistines in his death than he does in his whole life. And Jesus doesn't defeat political enemies Jesus defeats the enemies of sin and death itself. And he defeats them in his death. Both were solitary saviors. Do you notice as we go through the book of Judges, the number of people bringing the rescue gets fewer and fewer and fewer. So in the beginning, Ehud leads armies out against um, the enemy. Gideon goes out with 300 by the time we get to Samson, no other Israelite will fight with him. He fights alone. Jesus fights and dies alone. And victory for both comes in their apparent defeat. You would think Samson, by pushing the pillars out and the temple crashing down on him, actually brings his defeat. But his victory comes in the defeat. And it sure looks like, we even sang this this morning, it sure looks like that on the cross Jesus is getting his ultimate defeat when in fact that's the greatest victory. But there's one ultimate cataclysmic difference between the two. The Samson account ends by saying this. Samson led Israel 20 years. Samson died he was taken back by family members, buried in his tomb, and that ends his story. Jesus was taken down from the cross. He was put into a tomb, and that just begins his story. Lots of differences, lots of similarities. If we're going to read the Samson story faithfully, we'll see how Samson is a flawed rescuer but that'll teach us that God can even use people like us, as flawed as we are and as often as we fail. That doesn't disqualify us from being used. God's grace covers over our failures and our flaws. But Samson's also going to teach us, don't look to another human being as the example to follow. Look to Jesus primarily as your rescuer 
And when you experience the freedom and the life that he gives, you're then in a position to continue what he started, knowing that it's often in apparent defeat that God's best victories get won. An amazing story. I sure hope you read that in the other book of, books of Judges. We're going to finish in a couple of weeks. We're going to look at another semi-judge next week. Will you join me as we pray? Father, we give you thanks for uh, this crazy collection. Crazy collection of judges, of rescuers, of leaders who are flawed and who fail just like us. But people that are used by you to continue what you started at the beginning and what you ultimately start in Jesus. Lord, help us to not allow our weaknesses and our failures to cause us to walk to the sidelines, but may those failures and frailties drive us to you to find our incompetence covered in the victory that Jesus gives. And Lord, help us not to try to live out the victory ourselves, but to trust Jesus, the ultimate rescuer, who rescues us and then wants to use us to be part of the rescuing others process. We pray in his name. Amen.